see you. We had to do a quick mic switch there. And it's Martin Luther King weekend, so here's a quick question, interactive. Martin Luther King, when he comes to mind, what is his contribution in our nation? Racial freedom, okay. Who else? Not a trick question. Sorry? Civil rights, thank you. Sorry, I'm 62, which means I can only hear 3%, kind of. My kids think that anyway. Their eyes roll. Old man's getting old. All right, so we've got freedom, we've got civil rights. What else? What else does Martin Luther King give to us as a nation? I didn't hear that, but I'm going to agree. Okay, standing up for truth. Thank you. Is that Cheyenne at the back? Was that, was that your perspective, Cheyenne? Oh, Wendy's. Okay, I knew it was too good to be yours. <laughs> hey, you got a baby on your lap. I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of pro prophecy going on there right now, Zach. Just saying, buddy. I don't know. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing things. Anyone else? Inspiration? Absolutely, of course. Courage, boldness. Dare to take on the system. Dare to change. Believing that we can make a difference. There's a preacher man from down south who believed in what he did with incredible love and kindness. And uh, was prepared to give his life to it. Was he a man uh, without fault and flaw? No, of course he wasn't. We know that he had multiple affairs or at least the biographies I've read about him pointed in that direction. Uh, there was some flirtation with some of the socialist, communist elements in the country. We know that. Um, but all that may be of a concern to a conservative evangelical actually cannot hide the fact that he gifted the nation with a number of things that we dare not miss in a, in a weekend like this. So thank you. It is wonderful to see you. And we are going to dive into the text right now. So grab your Bibles. For those of you who don't know, we are currently landing our series on the Gospel of Mark. Mark is uh, the second of four Jesus stories. Four different men sat down and gave an account of the Jesus story as they'd either experienced it or heard it. So it was biographical in that it was about Jesus. Some of it was visual that they were there, they experienced it, they knew what they were talking about. Others collaged together the different stories that Peter and some of the first wave of men and women told, and they put them together into a bunch, into a clump, as we would say in South Africa. And uh, this is the shortest one. It's probably from the preachings of Peter, where John was his translator, probably, and then was asked, it would seem, please put it down in writing. Would you put an album together? Would you, would you collage these stories into a single essence? And that's the book that we have. It's a beautiful book. It's rich in color. It's honest. It's real. It's gutsy. It's short and uh, extremely powerful. Now, this evening that I put the alarm on, this evening what we have is particularly unique because we trying to get through a whole chapter, and the chapter we're trying to get through is this one with the title, The Signs of the Times. Now, I've been walking with Jesus since 1976, 
And I've heard this so many times, and I've had so many complex interpretations of what this could look like from those that are twirly-eyed, that are just mystified by their interpretation, to those who dismiss it as almost illegitimate to our Christian story. But I think it's a magnificent invitation for us to engage the last of the last days with the same sense of courage and boldness that Martin Luther King gave us. So grab your Bibles if you have them. Go to Mark 13 if you have them. I think the text may appear over my shoulder. Now, we can't read the whole passage. It's way too long. But I will read these verses from verse 23 through till I feel like stopping. So be on your guard, Jesus speaking says. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will darken. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. All that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So any theology that suggests we're going to be caught up apart from this doesn't represent Jesus' teachings. Jesus says we are here, my honest opinion, till the very end. Strap yourselves in, buddy. Put that seatbelt on. We are going to go through the roller coaster of times as we experience the last of the last days. And he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Interesting little phrase, to the ends of the heavens. Will we be living on Mars? That's kind of a cool thought. Jesus comes, the clouds open, he comes out on his steed, he straddled it, he's got his sword, he's got his tattoos, the heavens rip open, he comes flying down, he sends his angels to the four corners of the earth and the heavens, whatever that means, and uh, he gathers to himself the elect. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. So Jesus goes agrarian on us. As soon as its twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Beautiful phrase. The generation, this generation, the generation that will see this will certainly not pass away until all these things will have happened. All heaven and on earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Let me give you a picture for a moment. In the first Exodus, remember the moment where Moses climbs to the top of the hill, across the, across the river, across the waters, is the promised land. It's Israel, it's Canaan, and we know that it is full of people who already live there. This was a gift to God, but it's going to be full of adventure and combat as they have to establish themselves in this land of promise. And I can only imagine the leaders sitting around with Moses trying to make sense of this. So, so hang on a second. We've been in the wilderness for 40 years. We've had a fight off everything that the wilderness brought. And now you bring us to the promised land, quote unquote, and it is full of people who want to kill us. Is that what you're saying? And Moses quietly nods his head in keen understanding that the excitement of a promise will be completed in combat. This is the second exodus. That's what we've called the series. And it's the mirror of Jesus calling his disciples together and saying, guys, in the last days, you've asked me, what is it going to be like in the end? 
And, and you've asked me a ton of questions. Now, sit up here with me and look. This is the promise, but this is what it's going to look like. I want you to be aware of it. It's going to be full of rich inheritance and blessing and joy and, and zeal, and it's going to be full of hard work. Are you ready for the assignment? My mentor, as a, as a young, when I was your age, 18, 19, 20, 21, um, gave us this little phrase, which I never forgot. He said, some signs, I think it's going to go up here, some signs for all times, all signs for end times. In other words, the things we're going to quickly go through, just skedaddle through them quickly, will happen periodically through all of time. As a history lover, I can walk you through the Roman Empire and talk you about the sheer brutality that those Roman legions brought wars upon wars and the rumors of wars. But the end will not come. And I say that to encourage us because every now and again we hear this, kind of, and especially now with the social media platforms, it kind of creeps its way in. Oh, the end's coming. Jesus is coming back anytime soon. And when we understand the text, we realize that's not possible for reasons we'll see in just a moment but that's a really good thing to remember some signs for all times Afghanistan and Iraq has been the longest American war we've ever been in and it's not done what's happening in Armenia and the border between Armenia and I think Kyrgyzstan somewhere over there there are wars right now Syria, there are wars right now that don't affect us. People couldn't meet like we are meeting uh, for all the obvious reasons. People being slaughtered, it just isn't of interest to us. If you watch Al Jazeera, I hope you don't watch your favorite newscast. Please don't only watch people who agree with you. It's way too limiting. You shrink yourself. If you are more conservative and you watch Fox, for heaven's sake, watch a little bit of something else, please. If you are a little more liberty, uh, democratically driven and, and you watch CNN or CNBC or whatever, well, spread yourselves out a little bit. Watch some of the international channels. Watch BBC just to get a different flavor and a feel for it. Sky News. Watch some of the Australian. Get into Al Jazeera and its take on the Middle East. Spread our wings. There's a confidence that we have in our God that means we don't get all fearful and anxious when we watch things said and done that we don't agree with. We just look for the hand of God in those moments. Now, there are two words that appear three times each in the passage. So when I take a passage like this, I go through it over and over and over again, and I say, are there repetitions? Are there things that keep popping up? Because I need to know them. It means if the Holy Spirit is repeating them, this is really important. And there are two words that keep appearing three times each. And the first we see in chapter uh, 13, verse 5. Watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 35. Keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. And then the very last word in the chapter, what I say to you is watch. Watch that no one deceives you. Now, I need you to listen very carefully with an open heart because some of the things might be a little controversial to your ear. That word watch is not just standing on the beach watching a surfing competition. It's not just watching the high dive. I, I, am, I have 
a cautious respect for heights. Or you could say, I'm scared of heights, but that's way too negative and not macho enough. So I have a cautious reverence for elevation. So, so when I see these people do these high diving things around the world, these competitions sponsored by Red Bull, I'm traumatized just by watching when the camera stands up there with the guy or the girl as she is about to dive, and I can hardly see the specks of humanity below her. I wonder why people want to commit perpetual suicide joyfully. And what completely amazes me is how they plonk themselves into the water with such finesse and grace. What does that have to do with this? Absolutely nothing. But, but beware that no one deceives you. And, and my dear friends, I want to beat that drum just for a moment if I can. The enemy is the father of lies. His tactics include and prioritize deception. Getting us to believe what is not true. Now, follow my reasoning, and I hope I can do a good job. I have rewritten this message. I normally preach from my computer. I came in from my prayer time at 3 o'clock, and I rewrote this. So that'll tell you how nervous I am to get this one right. Goebbels, who was the information guy under Adolf Hitler, said, If we repeat a lie often enough, it will become the truth. Now, remember, what we're talking about is watch out that you are not deceived. That's the Jesus warning. Steve Bannon said, and I won't give you the actual word because it's a curse word. He said, our goal was to fill the media with SH. In other words, overwhelm the media with stuff that's not true. And eventually they will believe it. However... Post-modernity, from 1979, when Jean-Francois Lyotard wrote his paper on the post-modern condition. Now, this is a little nerdy, so forgive me if I kind of just go off of it as a tangent, but I think it'll help. He wrote a paper in 1979 in which he said there is no meta-narrative. There is no one arching truth. There is no one arching story. We, all that we have, he said, are little narratives. In other words, we all determine our own morality. We all shape our own sense of truth. Now, that was super sexy. And a young generation grabbed hold of this with much vigor. You older guys can't tell us what's right and wrong. We determine what's right and wrong for us. Oh, we say. That is such a cool story. I can determine my own sense of truth. I can tell you what's right or wrong. Please don't you tell me what's right or wrong. Are you with me? So, an article I read this week said it amazingly. And he said this, fake news has just begun. Because if we are allowed by the prevailing postmodern worldview to determine for ourselves what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, what's helpful, what's unhelpful, why do we complain when there's any semblance of quote-unquote fake news. Because the prevailing philosophical position that influences us is I determine my rights. So Capitol Hill, the, the Capitol building gets assaulted. You listen to one news bulletin and you would have a story. You listen to another news bulletin and you think, really? Which is true? They're both true. Because Fox decided what her truth was 
and CNN, CNBC, whatever, decided what their truth was. Now, I'm saying that because Jesus warned us. Watch that no one deceives you. In fact, one article I read this week used the delightful phrase. They said we should use information hygiene. I like that phrase. In other words, we should be courageous enough to find out for ourselves what actually happened. What really transpired. And certainly not perpetuate something we've heard from our favorite news channel. You see, dear friends, the idea of conspiracies is really just a story that people have twisted to their own end. Having walked with the Lord for 44 years, I can't tell you how many conspiracies I've had to sit through. When the European Union was started way back in the 70s, oh, oh, absolutely, oh no, this is the beast. Chris, do you know this is the beast? It's, it's the seven horns that it speaks of in Daniel and speaks of in Revelation. This is definitely, and, and Russia, USSR, oh, it's the bear. Absolutely. You know, you know that, that whoever was Gorbachev, whoever, oh, we know that's the bear. And then the USSR dismantles. And the prophets who prophesied that are silent with awkward embarrassment because they've been found out to be false. Watch that no one deceives you, Jesus says. The second big idea, Jesus says, is that we must be on our guard. Verse 9, 23, and 33. We must, he says, strong imperative language. We must be on our guard. We are a people at war. And the idea of us putting on our armor, which is so strange in the 21st century. It isn't to me as a lover of history. I want to find out as much about history as I can. So the idea of a breastplate is cool. It almost... Um, one of my favorite historical authors, Holland, Holland, what's his first name, love? I can't think of his name right now. But he said the reason why he ended up that way as a kid was he loved watching these Roman legions marching with the feathers that the centurions wore and their elegant regal riding on their horses. And when they entered Rome and, and the emperor, would, like Caesar, when he came into Rome, he, he had a slave over, standing with a crown over his head as he came in with his steed and his chariots and, and the, 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 the embattled slaves that were once kings in front of him and his legions walking behind him. Oh, the military historian in me, I tell you, I, 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 it's about as good as having great food. I, it's just like, ah. Oh. You see, what Jesus is saying here, you, you've got to put your breastplate on. You've got to put your helmet on. Translating into our vernacular, our minds and our hearts must be guarded at all costs. One of the effects of the pandemic and as a father, my heart breaks, is how many people have just gently drifted from the faith. Brutal. Beaten up by the pandemic. By the political instability, by the loss of jobs, prosperity decline. And by our own personal vulnerability. Jesus said, please, 
Be on your guard. Watch your heart. Watch your mind. Thank you for reading through the Bible with us. I know it's a little bit of a commitment. I'm behind schedule. Heads up. Because I still have my devotion and then I'm reading that. So I'm a little behind schedule. Meryl happily told me today she just caught up. So welcome to the world of catch up. But it is beautiful to go through the text and feed the text into our minds to shape us and our souls to exhort us, to keep our hearts tender in His presence. You know, I came across a very interesting study. A friend of mine uh, is vice president something or other with um, Unilever. It's a Dutch conglomerate. He's in London. And um, he was telling me of the, the Edelman... Trust Barometer. 21 years ago, Edelman, who had a consultancy company, started tracking trust of people in, I think, 30 nations around the world. And he said to me, Chetted, he said, this is a very interesting paper we've just had at our executive meeting. I think you'll enjoy it. So he sent it to me. I listened to it and I watched it. Here's the fundamental idea. In May 2020, this barometer said the most trusted institution in the United States of America was the government. It was war. It was the pandemic. The government was going to save us. Media we trusted because we needed them to tell us the story of the pandemic. NGOs, more so those in the front line of healthcare than churches, we took a beating, were third, and then businesses were fourth. In January this month, when the same global company did the same set of surveys, they found this. Those institutions to be trusted at the top of the pile was what? Anyone? Exactly. Business. Because business is funding the vaccine. Business is making it possible for us to ride roughshod out of this time. In fact, not just business, but the top of the top was my employer. The second was the NGOs, but not the church. Because what's happened with the church's strong connection with either Trump or Biden is the nation has said, we are done with the church. We do not trust you. You have a political agenda. We cannot trust you with our lives. Thirdly was government. Government sank so far that we cannot trust government, said this global consultancy firm. And fourthly was the media. We cannot trust the media at all costs. So here we have it. Jesus saying two big things. How are we doing time-wise? Jesus saying two big things that we need to do is ensure that we watch against deception and guard our hearts. It is going to be difficult, dear friends. I'm trying to make it interesting. I'm trying to draw you in as we wrestle our way through it. But please understand, put your boots on. This is not a time for flip-flops or thongs or whatever your languages. This is the time to put your boots on because the journey ahead is interesting. Now, here are a list of signs, minimal comments. The first is wars. They will, there are wars and there will be wars. Do not despair. It will happen. Secondly, there'll be rumors. I was thinking of the Warsaw Ghetto in 1940-41 after the Nazis had moved in and taken a section of the ghettos. 
uh, of Warsaw and made them ghettos for the Jews and other undesirables. And uh, the trauma of it was every day people were on their tippy toes. What are the rumors today? What are the rumors today? Are we going to be liberated? Are the allies coming? Or are we all going to be killed and sent off to a concentration camp? See, rumors held the ghettos captive. And we, dear friends and sons and daughters of the Most High God, cannot be held captive to rumors. We cannot be held captive to conspiracy theories with no substance in reality whatsoever. And you know why? I'm, I, I'm not even curious. Honestly, this is just my opinion. I'm not even curious with conspiracies because I just love my Lord. I just love my Jesus in whose palm I rest, in whose arms I find strength, in whose chest I find redemption, in whose eyes I find forgiveness, in whose lap I find boldness and courage once more to do what I need to do. I do not have time to preoccupy myself with stuff that is mostly just not even true. Thirdly, an act of God, an earthquake, a famine, a pandemic. Fourthly, persecution. Position your heart for persecution. It's coming. And it's coming with betrayal of believers who are going to turn their back on us and hatred of government who despise us. Please don't live with this, this kind of fuffy Orange County we all win at the end. We, we, do. we win because of Jesus, not because of society. They will hate us. They will hate us. When we say marriage is between a man and a woman, they will hate us. They will hate us. And with love and compassion and empathy, we will extend the Jesus arms to them. And they will hate us. There will be a scattering, and there will be many false messiahs and false prophets. Now you know why I've been wrestling with this text all week. It's like, really, can Tyler preach this? Okay, Dana, well, would you like to preach this, Dana? This is, this is a really cool passage, Dana. You, you, you definitely can. Maybe we should get the interns to share it, like seven of them. They each have two minutes. But now comes the good news. Here's the invitation, dear friends. Here's the invitation. At every moment, every section, Jesus comes and weaves in his truth and his perspective. I'll quickly just highlight a few of them. Number one, chapter 13 and verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Matthew adds, and then the end will come. People who say to me, oh, Chris, Jesus could come back any term, any time. And I'm like, no. There's 7,400 unreached people groups. 50 of the largest people groups added together is 1.4 billion people. There are at least 1,600 translations needed of languages we don't yet have in written form. Nope, Jesus is not coming back anytime soon. But it's an incredible invitation for us to take what we've got and engage a global story. Doctors who can go to Nepal and take the gospel with them. Businessmen and women who can go to Thailand and share the love of Christ while they're working alongside people of meager means. School teachers 
who can go and bring a smile to broken people who've never known anything but rebuke, correction, loss, and pain, and put their loving arms around them as Jesus would do and offer them another narrative. Ladies and gentlemen, what an invitation we have that our life has meaning. I'm 62. I see people desperate to retire. I'm thinking, what the hell are you retiring for? Forgive my crassness. The world can be reached. You can bring your skill set and we can take this gospel. If you're a dang good trench digger, I've got a job for you in Sri Lanka. The orphanage needs a trench to be dug. Get your best spade and slap it to your back. And go and dig a trench in Sri Lanka and watch those little orphan kids that have never been howled or hugged or told how wonderful they are, playing a game called cricket that you have no idea what it is because people run this way, not that way. And then they hit this side, then that side. Aren't you supposed to have just one side to hit from? And then they use a plank because they can't afford a bat. What an opportunity. That's the invitation. When all of this and we swamped and overwhelmed, Jesus said, I've got this for you. The gospel will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. Secondly, Jesus says this. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Uh, sorry, my love. Thank you for asking me. That's verse 13. So what's the invitation? To get gutsy. You know, we can get the persecution wobble. But we get all skittish because someone looks at us unkindly or speaks to us unkindly or rejects us or doesn't invite us to the party. Come on, people. Let's get gutsy here. Let's get a deep inner resolve to be men and women who can stand firm in the face of the greatest, most dastardly of resistance. Our platoon was out on a run one day. I was training to be an officer. And we had a drill sergeant, Bumberger, was a tall guy. He's a, forgive me, but he was a bastard. He just found great joy of taking us out. And our platoon got together the one day and said, we're going to destroy this man for reasons X, Y, and Z. And I listened to them and I said, I don't agree with you. On this point, I can't agree with you. And so we went out on this PT run in our combats. And every one of them went into slow mode except me. I was the only one running with a sergeant whom I hated. But I thought justice is not what you are trying to do now. They hated me. I'm not even sure what I did was right. But there is a higher virtue to li than likability. It's standing firm in the convictions that Jesus has put inside of me. That I'm not a ball of blubbery, wobbly uncertainty. But I'm a confident man and woman in the Most High God. And I will stand with tears in my eyes, incapable of budging. Because my Jesus lives inside of me. Thirdly, <laughs> I'm preaching like a boomer, aren't I? Uh, I'm not all sensitive like John Mark and Nice and quoting some random book he read last week that none of us can even pronounce. That's not me. I'm just like from my own guts. Because you know the truth is, I said this to Tyler and them, I'm 62. By the time most of you are on the peak of your lives, I'm with Jesus. 20, 25 years time, 
I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm going to love that. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know I'm going to love that. I know everything that life offers on steroids will be found in heaven. It's going to be one of the most, I mean, it's going to be the most compelling time of purity, beauty, peace, harmony, partnership, collaboration, joy, feasting together, playing together, loving together. But these will be your traveling companions. And we said from the beginning, Genesis exists as a boot camp. That's what we exist for. To make sure we ready you for the assignment that God has, which I'm getting to in a moment. And so I would do you a disservice to just offer pleasant platitudes, just to say nice things, and you feel good and you go home. And No, 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 this is a gutsy time. It's a time of fortitude and resolve. It's a time of standing our ground and believing truly with love and compassion the things that Jesus has put inside of us. Number three, what is the invitation to do? For the sake of the elect, this time will be shortened. So when it gets darker and harder, he will shorten it is his great promise to us. My last one, there are others, but I'll land this, is a most exquisite little verse in uh, chapter 13, verse 34b. It's like a man going away. He leaves his servants, puts his, leaves his house, and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Each his or her assigned task. You know what a privilege it is? Jesus goes, the eternal living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, leaves us down here, each with an assignment. People are looking for meaning. We'll pay thousands of dollars to go for courses to help me find out what job I must do when actually the answer lies not out there but in here. And that's the knowledge that I'm on this earth with a very specific assignment. My first assignment is that woman. God said to me as a young man, he said, will you husband her? Three times in our lives, we could have gotten divorced. Our marriage looked horrible. We were fighting. It was completely unpleasant. And then I would go to my heavenly father and he'd say, son, I asked you to give my daughter back to me healthier then when you got her, I have nothing more to say to you. It's my assignment. My assignment was then three kids. Nas, who's 34 in Australia. Dana, who's sitting over there, 32, with our little girl who's waiting to show herself to us February the 10th. And Tian, my 21-year-old, that's my assignment. See? I can't chase the world and leave those. They were my first assignment steps. And so I can go on, but you are my assignment. Every one of you. And the love of the Father that's in me for my biological children, I honestly carry. I saw Carissa arrive tonight with her two kids. Don't want to embarrass you, Carissa. A single mom driving all the way from Yorba Linda or wherever, arrives here with bags of food and, and chairs and plonks herself down here, and I think, oh God, will someone just please speak to her? Will someone show her love? Why? Because she matters. 
He's part of our assigned task. And I can say that without, you know what I'm trying to say. I did watch the Roma clan arrive. It was like a whole limousine of cars arriving to bring the gazillion of them here. Do you hear what I'm saying, folks? In amidst all of this darkness that seems overwhelming, and oh God, is this really going to happen? And he says, I invite you. Would you come with me? This is what we're going to do during those times. This is what we will do together. Would you close your eyes with me, please? I think of the hymn writer who said, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the stars, I see the glowing, what is it? rolling thunder thy power throughout this universe displayed heavenly father we see your power throughout this universe displayed we are not a motley crew tucked away on some parking lot we are part of eons of the ages of men and women who have bowed their knee to an unknown god sometimes to others a father god to others a redeeming god and we will have sung our songs in praise, echoing the songs of the ages and filling our atmosphere and universe with a song for our ages. We respond tonight to your invitation with a yes, please, Lord. Yes, please. Count me in. This is what I want my life to look like. Tyler and Austin are just going to play. Tyler's going to sing a song over us. Would you just have a moment, just where you're seated, unless you want to stand, of course, and lift your hearts to this magnificent king, the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, the sound of the African lion is but a whisper of this one.